This is First Read Ultimate Spider-Man Podcast, where we break down Bendis' iconic run on Ultimate Spider-Man, issues 1 through 160 in Earth 1610. John, how you doing today? I'm doing great. How about you, Zach? I am doing well. It was nice that we uh, we got to see each other this week in person. Yeah, that's true. Yep. How did you guys... We, Zach and I went to Newfields, which is an art museum in Indi- Indianapolis, and we saw the lights that they put up lights every year. So yep. it was really Be- fun. Walked through some pictures. beautiful walk through some beautiful Christmas lot lights with our wives. <laughs> lights with wives. That's that's hard to say for some reason. Yep. We um we made one woman extremely excited because she thought I was proposing to Elizabeth, not knowing that we were already married and I was just joking around. So I thought that was fun. I don't know if anyone else saw that woman's reaction, but I did and it was great. Classic jokester John made yeah. everyone think that they were witnessing like some life changing event. Yeah. Yeah. And your wife yeah, didn't even see. One. She had her head turned the whole time too, no, which made no, it funnier. No, she didn't. She was oblivious. Yeah. Really we're playing for the crowd. Yeah. Yep. But that was fun. Did did uh did your better half have a good time? Oh yeah, she loved it. She said, um, I don't know why we haven't been doing this every year. Because, you know, it's like you have your Christmas traditions and that's right here in the city. And we just have never, you know, made it a tradition. That that is one of our Christmas traditions. So we'll have to start doing that together. Yeah. Thanks for inviting us. Mm -hmm. All right. Should we get into it? Should. Yeah. Let's uh, jump into some issues. But before we do that, uh, John, I think we have a word from our sponsor, don't we? Yeah. Yep. We're sponsored here on the first read ultimate spider-man podcast so you know zach unfortunately spider-man isn't always around to help when you encounter bad guys and if you've ever been the victim of a scam or bad business practice and i know i have i don't know if you ever have zach but if you ever are call the better business bureau they're gonna provide you and the public with information on businesses and charities They've got a really easy A plus to F grading scale so you can know what kind of problems and experiences other consumers have had in the past. So for more information on that, because I know you're probably looking it up right now, you can go to BBB.org today. Thank you. Sorry. (laughs) so, So thank you to the Better Business Bureau for sponsoring us. Yes. Thank you very much for sponsoring us and all the good work you do. Yep. Um, so issue one, we're we're not on um we're not on the ultimate Spider-Man issues anymore. The great power arc. We're now on the ultimate Marvel team up number one through five. So maybe before we get into it, Zach, you could explain why you thought this would be the correct way to to do this read through. Yeah, so technically we're kind of jumping around in continuity with this episode. So there's the main series that we're covering in this podcast in its entirety, which is Ultimate Spider-Man. But then uh, that was kind of the jumping off point for Marvel's Ultimate Universe imprint. And this was another one of the early titles in that imprint. Um, It's Ultimate Team-Up. Every single issue of this is Spider-Man working together with another superhero or group of superheroes that they're introducing for the first time in the ultimate universe. Was this a pretty new thing to happen? 
this like crossing Spider-Man hanging out with other heroes? Or was this kind of the first time that this happened? So uh, interestingly enough, um, it's actually not uh, Marvel dating all the way back to, I think the seventies and eighties had had a title called team up or Marvel team up, some kind of variation of that. And it almost always was Spider-Man plus some other hero. I have an issue that's uh, Spider-Man and Captain Britain. And the idea there is they know Spider-Man is recognizable. That's not not Haley Atwell, Captain Britain, is it? No, it's Brian Braddock. Oh, okay. You haven't met him yet in the MCU. No. But that, I mean, kind of proves my point. It was always Spider-Man, who they know is very recognizable, plus some other superhero that they're trying to introduce people to. And that's kind of what they're doing here for for the Ultimate Universe. Yeah, and that's kind of what they're doing in the MCU now also, where they have, I feel like they put in their new heroes with experienced heroes, so then it kind of like gives them some importance, almost. Yeah, you got to draw the people in. Yeah, exactly. That's Um, so funny, your cat is like walking around and bugging you and nudging the thing, and mine is right here too. Oh, wow. And those are even kind of, they kind of even look like each other a little bit well yeah zach and i are both uh cat owners i have two cats and two dogs and i think you guys have three cats two cats two cats yeah she's just big enough to count as two cats herself (laughs) all right well let's get into issue one because i'm excited to talk about this this one these ultimate team-ups i thought they were pretty good so issue one it is written by Brian Michael Bendis. So does Bendis do all of these Ultimate Marvel team-ups as well? Yeah, so pretty much everything that Ultimate Spider-Man touches, he had creative control over. He was one of the two main writers for the entire Ultimate Universe. Okay, who's the other one? Mark Millar. Okay. He handled like the, um, the Ultimate X-Men and uh, I think early on in Ultimate Fantastic Four. And he wrote the, uh, so so we and the ultimate reading him as much. Then no. did like Spider-Man. Yeah, no, thank God. Okay. <laughs> I'm not a Millar fan. Yeah, who is? Just kidding, <laughs> Mr. Millar. Um, okay, so issue one written by Brian Michael Bendis, penciled by Matt Wagner, colored by Jung Choi, and lettered by Richard Starkings. So we open at a train station. Uh Pretty humorously, an old white lady is being racist. Uh, so very prescient with the with the times. But I guess what would it be racist? She's being mutinist or or speciesist or something. She's talking about how mutants are dangerous and everything like that. And her husband is embarrassed because she's talking pretty loudly. And then Wolverine, who I didn't even know that this was Wolverine when we opened the comics. Maybe if if because that's not what I he looks like to me. So I was like, I think that this is supposed to be Wolverine, but I'm not positive. Um, And then he threatens them and makes them take another train. And then all of a sudden, Sabretooth shows up and they brawl for a bit and Wolverine ends up escaping and boarding his train. Um, So, Zach, do you have anything to add? It's in that in that first scene where everything gets set up. So I think it's really interesting that you pointed out that you didn't know it was Wolverine because that's not what he looks like to you. Um, 
part of that is that uh, the ultimate universe kind of gave the creators some freedom of how much they wanted to keep the characters to their roots and how much they wanted to change them. So we're seeing um, Bendis in our series kind of stick to the roots of Spider-Man. Molar kind of took the X-Men in a different direction. So he actually wasn't even an X-Men reader. He knew about them because of the Fox movie that had just come out. And that's what he based his characters off of. So he famously. That's interesting that this comic run is it coming? It's coming out after the X-Men movies for sure. It sounds like you just said, is it after also coming f- out after the Spider-Man movies? No. So it's a weird time period. It's right after the first X-Men movie and before uh, Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man movie. Okay. Okay. Very interesting. So the fact that you noticed that Wolverine had been redesigned is, I mean, you're totally right. It was a completely new take from someone who, was not a comics fan. Hmm. But most people who probably opened up that comic would understand as soon as they see it. Oh, this is Wolverine because I'm reading a Spider-Man and Wolverine comic. That's kind of what I was thinking, but I was like, this really doesn't look like him, but I just assumed that it is him. Yeah. And I think they tell you for sure a couple issues later or a couple pages later, you know, you see that he's Wolverine because he has the claws. They also, at that point, had released um, Ultimate X-Men. So the first Ultimate oh, title okay. was Spider-Man, and then a couple months later was X-Men, and then this came right after both of those. Okay. Okay. Well, so I've got another question for you. So this racist woman, she has just seen this encounter. First of all, she was already really scared of mutants because they're dangerous. And then... A mutant threatens her and then gets into a huge brawl with another one where there is probably some sort of collateral damage right next to her. So her biggest fear that mutants are dangerous, it's kind of now like, is she wrong? I mean, (laughs) that might be what they're exploring here. I mean, uh, I think the biggest thing about the X-Men is the mutant metaphor that they can stand in for just about any oppressed group. Yeah. But a lot of people have pointed out that that metaphor is imperfect in a lot of ways. And one of those ways is realistically superpowered people running around the streets could be dangerous. And so yeah. I think this is an example of, you know, that, that fallacy. Yeah. I just feel bad because this, this woman is unfortunately going to go even deeper down her rabbit hole of racism now. So that's, that's too bad. But doesn't Uh, that also kind of mirror what happens in the real world where if someone has a prejudice and they see like one instance where they think that they were justified, it's just going to cement it further. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. And, and I, as we read these next five issues, I did specifically write down a couple times in my notes like well they're they're kind of i don't know they're they're hitting the nail on the head uh just from a politics perspective of like looking into the world but not really beating it down your throat or anything like that or beating it over your head um but i can but i can keep going so so after that now we go to a woman who's being mugged and spider-man shows up and beats them up and 
This is kind of who up. Or I'm sorry, he beats up. (laughs) He finishes the mugging. (laughs) That Um, still doesn't. (laughs) No, I know. Uh, See, Spider-Man beats up the people who are mugging this woman. Yes. And this is kind of a new Spider-Man that we haven't seen in the past so far because he's kind of wisecracking and having fun as he's beating up these muggers. And then he and his um, and his uniforms finished, too. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is this is our classic Spider-Man. At this yeah. Point, so you know? when I said earlier that we kind of jumped in continuity with these issues, you could listen to the issues we cover in episode three first, and it would probably make more sense. But these ones come right after those issues. And I thought thematically it'd be important for us to talk about the ultimate universe pretty early on in this show. Yeah. So he like already it. has his uniform at this point. Yeah, he does. We we meet him. He's kind of he's he's been Spider-Manning for real. And then one of these guys that he's beating up calls him a mutant as if it's a derogatory term. And we've already touched on that a lot. So, you know, this is just a couple pages in and we've got a pretty good idea of what the theme of the issue is going to be. Um, And Spider-Man comes out with and I wish I would have looked this up, but I'm pretty sure this is after Seinfeld. He says, I'm not a mutant, not that there's anything wrong with that. And that like has to be a wink and a nod to Seinfeld, where they say that about being gay. I don't know if you've ever seen that episode, Zach. I have not. I wasn't a Seinfeld person. Oh, well, there's a very famous Seinfeld episode where people think Jerry's gay. And he they say like a 100 times throughout the episode, I'm not gay. Not that there's anything wrong with that. And that's exactly what Spider-Man says. I'm not a mutant, not that there's anything wrong with that. I am positive. I didn't know that before, but I'm positive with how much Bendis plays with like pop culture, that that's what he was going for. But it's funny because you will see that same sentiment play out later, like much, much later in the main series. Hmm, okay. Um, so Spider-Man, he stops the mugging and kind of swings them away and like is sort of thinking introspectively about well maybe he is a mutant he doesn't really know what's going on or like you know uh he's kind of thinking about himself and then we switch back to logan wolverine and he's on the phone with someone who's supposed to be helping him have a normal life but Sabretooth keeps finding him um and then we kind of switch back to and and logan's kind of losing their temper his temper with this guy over the phone then we switch back to spider-man and he's contemplating being a mutant and then he sees uh, Logan getting mugged by Sabretooth. Sabretooth found him again. And he's he and his gang are about to beat up Logan. And he kind of questions whether he should help out or not for a long time, if you ask me. An unreasonable amount of time. And then once Wolverine is getting his butt kicked pretty good and he's kind of on his last legs and about to get taken, that's when Spider-Man uh decides to jump in he had to wait for the best moment for a dramatic (laughs) entrance he did and he was kind of i think wasn't he debating if he should help because he's like well these guys are clearly mutants so this is mutant business so maybe i shouldn't get involved in that is am i remembering that correctly yeah i think he's definitely playing the role of like I mean, which makes sense for like a 15 year old kid, but he's kind of playing the role of like 
the guy who doesn't know, like, you know, is it best to just not say anything? Should I step in like the white moderate that Martin Luther King talked about? Interesting. So do you think that's what Bendis was going for? Because I do think in these five, five issues, at least there is an awful lot of um, like commentary on politics. Like I said, without beating you over the head with it. So it wouldn't surprise me if you do think he's like using that as an example. I think he's kind of playing the role of um, like a good, but imperfect person. Like he clearly is well-intentioned, but he's not handling things the right way. And there's like room for him to grow in those terms throughout the rest of the series. Okay. Okay. So, so we're back into the story and Spider-Man jumps in and he helps save Logan. And then one of the audience members who's watching this mugging says, get out of here mutant before one of those big robots shows up. So that must be the Sentinels that they're referring to. I'm guessing. And I thought this was interesting because it's saying that the people don't like mutants, but it's not just saying that they don't like mutants. It's saying they don't like mutants because when there's mutants around, the Sentinels are around, or at least that's one part of, so we kind of have met two different people who are anti-mutant. One of them thinks it's because mutants are dangerous. And the other one is because they say more mutants bring the danger. So I I don't know. I just kind of found it interesting. I, I definitely feel like Bendis is purposefully trying to. Um, I don't think there's anything he wrote on accident. You know, I think he had a reason for for almost everything he he wrote in this, and they all have some sort of political message. And I don't know exactly what he's thinking by them, but I still think it's interesting that he, I don't know, included these these types of lines that they don't really contribute to the story but they just give you a better understanding of how people think about the world that they're living in. Yeah, I I agree that we're seeing multiple perspectives um, on display here and they're not necessarily being glorified, but it's just kind of acknowledging that this is some ways people think about things. Yeah. Um, so Then we get a pretty fun uh, Spider-Man line that I also wrote down. Let's just all take a second and discuss the history of racism and bigotry in this country, shall we? Um, and I just thought I just thought that that was really funny, especially because you hear today and like anytime there's anything political and like a Marvel thing or or anything happens, everyone's like politics. You you didn't used to have politics in media and comics and things like this and this is just like word for word let's all just take a second and discuss the history of racism and bigotry in this country from your main character of the story spider-man that's about as political as you can get in a comic book oh yeah it was hilarious and you know i'm glad like it like the character said that because it just was perfect for the moment but also you're i mean Anyone who thinks that there was a time X-Men wasn't political, that's just goofy. Yeah. Um, so then Spider-Man rescues Logan 
And the next day, they don't meet up though, right? Logan kind of goes his separate ways. Is yeah, they, he kind of like saves him and then they scamper off. Yeah. And then um, we catch up with Peter Parker the next day at school. He's still a huge dork and it's full of cringe. He's pretending to act like Logan does and wearing his clothes like Logan and wearing his hair like Logan. And he tries to act like a tough guy and he calls someone bub. And you think, oh, wow, he kind of stood up for himself. And those guys are a little scared of him. And then the very last panel is him, like, feeling proud of himself for standing up for himself and then getting food thrown at him from off screen. And people are, like, laughing at him and, like, mocking him for saying bub. It's very, I thought it was very funny. Yes. Um, And I know we had already talked about it at Newfields, but I really liked this issue. And I created a new rating system, which you'll have to, we'll have to remember to do this every time. But since this was Wolverine, I gave this issue six out of six Wolverine claws. So Zach, how many Wolverine claws out of six would you give this issue? Yeah, I I love the grading scale. Um, I, I really like I'm going to be the Simon Cowell. Like I'm going to be the guy who's just, you really got to impress me to get full marks. I'll say five out of six Wolverine claws, but it's still no slouch of an issue. It's a good start to the, the team up series. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely thought so too. Um, well, do you have anything else you want to add for this one? No, man, you killed it. Okay. Let's move on. Yes. So issue two, was uh once again written by brian michael bendis it was penciled by phil hester and inked by andy parks and it opens with peter parker sitting at a desk in the daily bugle so once again this is one of the things takes place slightly ahead of where we're at in the main series but all you need to know for context is that he's gotten a part-time job at the daily bugle Uh, Sitting across from him is Bugle writer Ben Urich, who is reading about the fight at Times Square that happened in issue one. The two of them make some small talk. Oh, so is that, is that, so is this the story on the headline that says Sentinels take New York? Because I noticed on that, on that, where, when we see the Daily Bugle, um, the story next to it after we see everything bad about Spider-Man, the story right next to it says Sentinels take New York. So I thought that was also interesting because in that last episode, we were sort of alluded to that maybe the Sentinels were the bad guys. And now in this one, it's pretty in the paper Sentinels take New York. So very ominous. So I believe that story um, on the paper is referencing ultimate X-Men issue one, because the Sentinels do fight the X-Men in New York city in that issue. But then the one that uh, Ben Urich was reading was about Spider-Man and Wolverine and Sabretooth's fight. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the two of them um, make some small talk until a secretary tells Urich that there's a phone call for him. So the two of them are making small talk until a secretary comes in and tells Urich that there's a phone call for him. And we figure out from context that the call is from a general who's warning him about something headed straight towards New York City. And he wants Yurik to use his platform to uh, alert the people of the danger. 
So Yurik goes into a meeting with um, two of the editors of the paper, Robbie Robertson and J. Jonah Jameson. And he's trying to tell Jameson about the call, but he can't even get a word in because Jameson and Robertson are arguing about how they should cover the mutant scare in the paper. This is a continuation of those same themes we saw in issue one, even though this is not X-Men related. Um, Bendis is just building the world out and establishing that people really are, you know, hating and fearing the mutants. Yeah. And it's, um, it's funny that you said building the world out because I wrote, I, I really like the world building that goes on in this little scene in the newsroom where they're talking and you see what type of people everyone is. You know, J. Jonah Jameson says like four times, I already sold the advertising when they're, he's trying to like get them to cover a different story. And he says, I already sold the advertising and you know, I can just see it happening. And, uh, Oh gosh, I can't remember the actor's name right now. Do you know off the top of your head? But the the guy who's always in the Spider-Man movies that plays is J. Jonah Jameson. Jameson. Yeah. Uh, um I'm blanking on it. And he's just very I'll look it up real fast while I'm saying the next thing. And um they're talking about Oh, where is it? Let's see. You're gonna say it and I'm gonna be like, oh duh. JK Simmons course yeah okay um and they're talking about victor von doom and um so we kind of get to see what's going on with victor von doom and and we know j jonah jameson likes him because this other guy who is bringing him the same story telling them not to do the mutant scare story is saying is talking about like the Victor Von Doom story that they ran earlier. And, and Jameson is like, well, that was a hit piece. That was blackmail, you know, things like that. So, so Victor Von Doom, I'm guessing, and Zach, you probably know, but he has some sort of like political role in this society at this time. And he's probably doing sketchy stuff because he's a bad guy. So it's um, Dr. Doom. Yeah. Dr. Yeah. I knew. Yeah. That. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So is he Dr. Doom yet? Like in this world. So that's part of what I was going to talk about with you on this podcast. So um, Wolverine is like the actual Wolverine that we will see. You know, we have seen previously and we will see from here on out in the ultimate universe because he's already been written. The rest of this series was supposed to be introducing all these other people that were going to fill the world. And it kind of got overwritten later. Like I'll just say it now. The Hulk is like green. He's his normal green self here, but for the rest of time, the ultimate universe Hulk is gray and like, they're acting like uh, Victor Von doom has already rose to power and is like the ruler of Latveria here. And that doesn't happen. Like you see his origins like four years from now in ultimate fantastic four. So there's just like these little things where they're for the sake of this series, this early on, they're assuming it's basically the same as the regular Marvel universe, but they're going to go back and retcon all that. Okay. Um, but anyway, it was, it was just like you said, really good world building, like in that scene, because the whole time they're doing this, you know, the Hulk is rampaging through the city, which I'm sure you were about to say. 
Yeah, I was gonna build up to a reveal, but what the heck? <laughs> well, you can cut you can cut it out if you want. Cut that, cut that, cut that, cut that. Um so just as Yurik is able to get Jonah's attention, the building rumbles and people start running and screaming. And Peter sneaks out amidst the chaos and changes into a spidey suit. And so we see him swinging towards the direction of the danger. And he's really unsure of what he's walking into. And it's like the super cinematic buildup where like just as he rounds the corner, he sees a massive green monster that lunges at him and says Hulk smash. So, of course, this is the first appearance of the Incredible Hulk in the Ultimate Universe. He is not depicted here how he will be depicted for the rest of time. He is green like we're normally used to. He will turn out to later be gray. Um, But officially, this is his first appearance. And so the two start fighting because Spidey is trying to stop him from rampaging the city and hurting people. And uh, the like only thing Spidey can think to do is to lift a car up and smash the Hulk in the head with it. And that temporarily slows him down, but it just makes him angrier. And so then he tries to web him in the face and he actually gets a few good punches in that way. But the issue ends with the Hulk reaching out and just palming Peter's face like a basketball. (laughs) And he's holding him up in the air and leaves you with a cliffhanger for the next one. He's definitely about to squish his head like a grape. Like, (laughs) yeah, I don't know what stops him. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. There's no reason he won it. Like he's full on palming his head. (laughs) From that moment to the end of time, Peter's living on borrowed time. Cause he, he got a, he got a freebie there. Um, so at one point they're fighting and Peter says to the Hulk, Hey, listen, man, don't make me angry. You won't like me when I'm angry. Is that because Peter knows that like Bruce Banner says that, and he's like kind of famous in this world, or is that a wink and a nod? Obviously that's a wink and a nod. Okay. That's, that's what I figured. Um, yeah, yeah, that's a me- that's is- a meta joke in his world. That doesn't actually mean anything. Okay, okay. Um, but this was a good fight. Peter's cracking jokes with all the uh, spectators while he's like trying to get the Hulk under control, and then yeah, he's a yeah, he's definitely yeah, he- about to get beat. I don't know what's going to happen. You love to see it. I think one of the funnest things about Spider Man is when he's just getting his ass handed to him, and he's still like trying to perform his little stand-up routine. Yeah. Um, so we don't know why the Hulk is rampaging, do we? Do they say that in the phone call early on? I, or is it just like, he's just here? I don't think they have enough like page length to come up with a good reason. I think they just, oh yeah, Hulk's in New York? Sure, why not? Yeah, okay. I wonder if we'll find that out. I wonder if they ever say why he was there to begin with. Well, it's continued in issue three. So do we want to jump in there? Yeah, absolutely. So issue three. Oh, wait, before we get into that one line from issue two, I really thought was funny. Okay. Spider, 
It says it's my responsibility to be Spider-Man or I could go home and watch cartoons. <laughs> um, that was pretty funny. And he says that while he's swinging towards the danger and everything. Um, so issue three. Yep. Continuation. This is written by Bendis, penciled by Phil Hester, inked by Andy Parks and colored by JC. Is that Jung Choi? I'm guessing. It could be. That's a okay. good catch. I I did not notice that. They just say JC. Hmm. Well, oh, before we do, okay, I might be a little off here, but um, I counted like five Hulk smashes in that last episode. So, Zach, I don't know if you want to give us your rating system on that episode. So, I understand what they're going for. It's just supposed to be a really simple introduce the Hulk story, but with how good the Wolverine was, this one kind of pales in comparison. I'm going to give it three out of five Hulk smashes. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And I was thinking in my head, it can't be a five. Obviously I don't, I really like the opening of it where they're in the newsroom. So it makes me want to give it a four, but there's going to be, I just can't do it. I would say, I would say a three also. Yeah. They, they fight for a bit and then it's not resolved, but it had a very strong opening that I liked a lot. Yeah, it's a um, good comic, it, but it's a for- forgettable comic, too. OK, so we'll say three out of five Hulk smashes. Yep. Um. So issue three. Uh, we already said who it's by. So Spider-Man and the Hulk continue their fight. Spider-Man is trying to save as many people during this and as much collateral damage as he can. So he's luring the Hulk to the pier. And then this, this is actually pretty funny now that I'm rereading it. Um, he gets a bunch of fish and leads him into a, an empty warehouse as if it were like Scooby-Doo where they're like leading the person into the trap. He just puts fish out in front of him and he keeps and he keeps following it. Come on, Hulk, um, so you Hulk want a Scooby snack? Very, yeah, yeah. So the Hulk is definitely a big dummy in this, which I like. I thought that was really funny. So then he eats the fish. The Hulk eats the fish. He transforms back into Bruce Banner. Um, and it was pretty been goofy, some really bad fish. Yeah, yeah. Pretty goofy, but I'm not saying I didn't like it. I thought it was still good. Um and then Thunderbolt Ross, I'm guessing that's who that's supposed to be because it looks like William Hurt. Um, from I think they say the Ross. Nowadays. Do they? Okay. Yeah. So Thunderbolt Ross and his team shows up to capture Bruce Banner and then Banner hawks out again and escapes. And Hulk is still missing at the end of the issue. Um, I don't feel like a lot went into that one, really. You know, as you can tell by my by my um uh summary of it i just what i didn't i wasn't really feeling this one nothing really happened in it you know the hulk's missing at the beginning of it he's missing again at the end he like transforms back into banner but then they put him in the hulk it seems like just a wasted issue for me so if do you have something to add to it no i think you're totally right i think um you know the purpose of these two issues were to introduce the hulk to the marvel like ultimate universe. And you pretty much got that in issue one, but they just like ran out of room to have a conclusion. So it feels like this is just an action episode or this is just like an action issue tacked on after that. So they can say it concluded, but nothing changed. And, and I'm also 
like a little confused by what I was thinking would happen in these team ups are they would meet each other and then they would come together for a bigger storyline. And in this, he meets Wolverine, but then they're not together by the end of it, which is fine. I'm sure they'll meet again. But with the Hulk, I just don't see the purpose of either of these two two issues because it he there's like no character development at all, you know. Uh, or or maybe there is that I'm forgetting, and like maybe Bruce Banner and Peter has shared like a small conversation, but the Hulk just comes in, rampages for two issues, and then leaves. And there's just why did that all happen? You know. Yeah, it feels more like an editorial mandate, you know, like someone at Marvel said, hey, we need to introduce all these other characters, but we don't have time to launch their own series. Here, Brian, can you um, can you just write a Hulk issue? And it seemed like maybe he had something to say with the uh, the Wolverine one, but this was just meeting a deadline. Okay. Well, do you have a rating system for this one that we could include? We can we can use five Hulk smashes again. Okay, we'll do, we'll do Hulk smashes again. I'm going to give this one a one out of five Hulk smash. Not not because I like hated it or anything like that. I just didn't. You know, there has to be something has to be a one for it to be a good, you know, rating system. And and I feel like this was probably towards the bottom. Yeah, I get where you're coming from. I feel like I would have had to have had something I actively disagreed with or really didn't like for it to be a one. I think a two is just forgettable. And that's where it is for me. It's a two out of five Hulk smashes. Okay. Okay. I like that. I'll I'll change mine to a two out of five also. Because no, it you was don't have just, to. Because it, no, you brought up a good point. Because it was just forgettable. I didn't actively not like it. So yeah. I think that that's a good um, determining factor from a two or a one. And I think that's and when you're of... talking about Hulk smashes, it's a very tricky scale, you know, um, but but I think on our Hulk smash scale, it's a two. Yeah. And I think m- moving forward, that's kind of what you get out of this series is some of them just really feel like they had to do it. They just had to introduce a certain character and that's what it is. And then other ones, it feels like um, kind of an avenue to pursue different tones or a more artsy direction. This is the the former for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Get us into issue four. This is a good one. Yeah. So we talked about this um, a little bit at New Fields, but I'll say it again for the pod. Uh, not too many of my comics from when I was a kid survived. I think they got thrown away or donated or something. But this actually is one that I still have the issue that I bought in 2001 or July my... 1st, July 1st, 2001. Yeah. Realistically, my parents bought it for me because I was six, but <laughs> I still have that same issue. And so for the pod, I didn't even read it on Marvel Unlimited. I pulled out my old issue and it's got oh, some wow. great, it's got some great advertisements in it for like, uh, like cheese sticks and lunchables (laughs) and uh toys you know that they were selling back then so that was kind of a fun blast from the past that's do you have it for the pod you want me to show you definitely yeah let me go 
get it. And for anyone listening, it did not take Zach two minutes to go get that, that we cut out. He immediately had it next to him, ready to show. Wow. Amazing. I keep that thing on me. Look, Look at that. <laughs> with, the, with the cheesy nips, full page, back cover. There's a SpongeBob and Patrick drinking milk for like one of those oh got gosh. milk things. Yeah. It's really fun to like look back at the ads that you were, you know, had force fed on you when you were a kid. You remember <laughs> when Juicy Fruit stuff was like this deranged, like yes. Dolly looking yes. artwork? <laughs> oh, dude, that's great. Wow. Yeah. I wonder how much I wonder how much you could sell that for. I wonder what the worth on that would be. I just have no idea. I know if it was one of the original Ultimate Spider-Man issues, that, those actually do carry some value. Those are some of the more expensive ones from like the modern era of comics. Hmm. All right, take us into issue four. Yeah, so issue four was once again written by Brian Michael Bendis. Art was by Mike Allred colored by JC and lettered by Wes Abbott. So uh, we open with Peter Parker giving a slideshow presentation in front of an auditorium about Tony Stark. He lays out Tony's life story, which is not how it will later be presented in the ultimate universe, but we'll ride. We'll, we'll, we'll go with it for now. So I, I, I have something to add. If you're, are you going to say what Peter says? Is Tony Stark's life in the story? Because I have something to add for when you when you do. Yeah, I'm about to do that. Okay. So uh, according to Peter, Tony came from humble beginnings, but amassed a fortune as a child by appearing on game shows. He dropped out of Harvard to found Stark Industries, which definitely will not be true later. Um, eventually, he was on a plane that went down in Guatemala where he and the other passengers were held captive by terrorists. And he led a rescue mission to save his fellow hostages. And he returned to the state with his first Iron Man suit. And he now uses that suit both for super heroics and for marketing as the mascot of his company. <laughs> um, so I was a huge fan of Peter's slideshow to present information about Tony Stark. I thought that was a really good way to tell us who Tony Stark is quickly. I did think it was interesting that we almost start with uh, maybe even one of the very first lines that says, yeah, Tony Stark practically invented the term self-made billionaire. And based on the other things that have happened in this world in the first couple issues and how I think he's trying to be like political without smacking you over the head with it. Bendis is making fun of people who think billionaires are potentially self-made in this line. Do you think, or do you have an interpretation on that? I mean, I sure hope so because like with our modern sensibilities, you know, you kind of feel like there's not a a way to make a billion dollars without ripping someone off. But well, you got to remember, this Tony's... was this yeah, was 2001. So, like, it could have just been different sensibilities then. Well, I think 
he was maybe ahead of the time on this because we know that Tony Stark is not a self-made billionaire. It's like very mm-hmm. important to his character, at least the the versions of Tony Stark I've seen where like his dad ran Stark Enterprises and it was already like a hugely rich person even when he was a kid. So that's why to me it was almost like poking fun at that. Like, um, you know, people who think these billionaires are self-made, they're just like sucking up to them, kind of. They're just like fanboys, like Peter is to Iron Man. Yeah, Uh, he was the proto-Elon Musk. Yeah. (laughs) So my read on it was maybe Bendis knew that there was something kind of off-putting about that traditional origin story. And so he just wanted to change it and make Tony Stark more likable. Oh, so you, so this is actually, this isn't like Peter's not wrong when he says this stuff, this is actually what happened. Like he, he was like growing up poor. I always figured that was just Peter not really knowing what he was talking about. about. Like, like he's an unreliable narrator. Just when it comes to this guy who he's like, a fanboy of you know. so my read of it was this is the origin for tony stark that bendis had in mind and then okay. when the ultimates launches and mark millar gets a chance to actually write tony stark i think he changes that and makes it what we know what we normally expect where like howard stark built the company okay interesting yeah this is one of the things that gets retconned but I do think it's funny that he has this superhero suit that he also doubles as the mascot of his company. That yeah. is very funny and like seems like a play on, you know, capitalism to me. And the suit he has is like as goofy looking as can be with the cutouts for the eyes and his like smile that you can see through. And it's just it's it's I I think it's a great one, but it's very uh, looks like it would be like a 50s type of thing. If we saw it now, it would be like, oh, this is like a suit from the 50s or something. But I don't know if you thought that at all. Yeah, I think it's definitely inspired by some of the goofier suits that Iron Man had back in the Silver Age in the 60s. Yeah. So at first, we didn't really know why Peter was like talking. Um, Have you already... Because I know that this kind of like jumps back and forth. Have you already gotten past the point where he like talks about the movies Iron Man is in or something like that? I think At I skipped point, over they... that. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm, I maybe thought I was kind of interesting and worth saying something. So oh, that he was in the movies. Yeah. Um, and also in this, so Tony is in a an Iron Man movie with Gene Hackman, which once again, you said Bendis loves to like reference pop culture, which just has to be him referencing the Superman movie where Gene Hackman is Lex Luthor in this universe where these characters are real. Iron Man is like the Superman movie and Gene Hackman is starring in as his rival. So I thought that was kind of, kind of some fun world building. Yeah. It's definitely setting him up as like, an industrialist and superhero, but like mostly celebrity, like all of it yeah, is kind of yeah. to the end of building his personal brand. Yep. 
Yeah. So we realized that the reason Peter is going through this slideshow about Tony Stark is because he had won some contest at his school to be able to like introduce Tony Stark at the Stark Expo. And this was him practicing that in front of his classmates. And now he's going to like go over to the expo. Um, so we then cut to Tony Stark in a boardroom meeting and he's talking to a Latvian official, which is Dr. Doom's country, Latveria. And he is refusing to sell an Iron Man suit to them. He says, I don't like you or your country or your dictator or how he gets his money while the citizens starve. And he's so that- talking about Victor Von Doom here, right? Yeah. He's okay. saying like, I don't care how much money you offer me. I'm not going to give my technology to a dictator. And Tony Stark, you're kind of based for that. Good for you, man. Yep. Yeah, I, I I really like this. I think uh, when people say, oh, Robert Downey Jr. was just perfect for Iron Man. Uh, and maybe it's like a chicken and egg situation in my mind. But I, I can just like see the scene so perfectly being played out with Robert Downey Jr. And like, you know, exactly how he'd say the lines and all of his mannerisms. And it makes it very enjoyable to read, I think. And especially when he like throws him the Iron Man action figure at the very end, as he's like walking out the door, he's just like, don't leave empty handed. Here you go. Take an action figure. Um, But I, yeah, I thought it was great. He dresses down the Latvian guy and it just adds to the kind of, it makes me want to know what Victor Von Doom is up to. We never will in like two or two episodes. Oh, do we not? (laughs) No, because like I said, they're going to retcon that he's like still a teenager at this point. Like he doesn't come in until ultimate fantastic four in 2004. Okay. Okay. But this is Bendis's interpretation. (laughs) Yeah. In Bendis's mind at this point, Dr. Doom is a dictator, but well, I like it. And, and he would be going after the Stark armor, right? And for sure, he would probably be going offering any amount of money like it makes sense with what's happening in the world yeah and i'm glad you brought up uh tony sliding an action figure over to the latvarian guy and saying don't leave empty-handed because that was like the funniest thing about any of these issues to me was just the (laughs) the pettiness yeah yeah it is great all of all of his I think they do Tony Stark really well. There's one panel I'm looking at where he's kind of like leaning back in his chair and then the Latvian guy says something and he like snaps his fingers forward and like points at him. And I'm like, Oh, it's just perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um. So after Tony kicks the Latvian dude out of his office, um, he remarks to his assistant, and says, now that's something you don't see every day because he's seeing Spider-Man swinging outside of his window, which is ironically <laughs> Peter going specifically to go see Tony Stark. Um, so I thought that was funny. I thought that was a good touch. And it, Peter's wearing his backpack so he can change back into his regular clothes. So uh, Tony kicks the dude out, sees Spider-Man, and then like immediately his hand starts shaking and he begins sweating and he like almost stumbles over and his assistant uh, runs over to him and says, I'm going to call the doctor. 
and Stark's like, no, don't you dare. And this has always been confusing to me because I don't know if that uh, ever gets explained. I don't oh. think it gets explained in the next issue. That's I, that's what I wrote down. I said Tony's Iron Man heart is hurting him, maybe. Not sure why he got hurt all of a sudden. Um, and it must just be something, you know, like we see in the Iron Man movies where every so often he's just like in pain from the palladium poisoning or, you know, whatever it might be in this run. But that's so, what I just figured it was. But you're right. They don't ever explain it at all. Yeah, I think it's something that Bendis assumed would he would have a chance to flesh out later. And he never does. But that's interesting that that's where your mind went, because what I thought was, oh, he's a recovering alcoholic. Generally, like in the main comics, maybe this is like withdraws or something. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. And we'll never know. So, <laughs> yeah. So anyways, um, we cut from that scene and Peter is arriving at the Stark Expo, changing out of his Spidey suit. And it's just chock full of science booths and models of the Iron Man suit. Um, it kind of looks like a mix between like the world's coolest science fair and like uh, just a fanboy convention for Iron Man. Um, and he heads to this outdoor exhibit, uh, presenting like the Iron Man suit and talking about its various abilities. And you see Tony Stark, um, arrive at the exhibit and some of his, I guess, handlers or, um, you know, uh, uh employees are like, oh, sir, we didn't think you were going to make it. And he still seems kind of shaky and sweaty. And right then an explosion happens on the stage and we see these like mercenaries in flying mechanical battle suits. They're not the Iron Man suit. They look bigger and clunkier than the Iron Man suit, but you know, that's like the best comparison I can have to describe them. They appear, they're coming out of two helicopters and they had fired on the stage thinking the models of the Iron Man suit was the real thing. They thought Tony Stark was actually in it. So did you say these are the Sentinels? These are not Sentinels. These you are don't, like, you don't think that these are Sentinels dudes. or you know that these aren't, these are just guys. Yeah. These are just guys. Um, we've already seen the Sentinels in ultimate X-Men and they look like standard purple Sentinels. These are like battle suits being worn by real people. Oh, that's right. Cause we find out who, who this was at the end of the issues. Yep. Okay, but I won't spoil it quite yet. Good tease. So uh, Tony suits up and tells the crowd to run away and the mercenaries shoot him with flamethrowers, which somehow shuts down his defensive systems. You would think if it was that easy, the Iron Man suit would kind of suck and not function ever. But <laughs> I guess you can just burn out his defensive systems with fire. And he falls to the ground and the mercenaries surround him. And his internal computer says that all of the systems are inoperable. So he can't move or fight back or do anything. And Peter runs up to him. And he's like, hey, kid, would you mind getting some help? And the issue just ends. <laughs> Another great cliffhanger. 
this this one was a, a very great cliffhanger. I liked it a lot. And once again, Peter Parker is just like standing around while these heroes are getting beat up. I mean, luckily he does jump in eventually, but you could jump in a little sooner, Peter. Especially with those spidey senses. Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you think of this one? What what's our what's our rating system on this one? I'm gonna say our rating system for this one is ten Iron Man action figures. Okay, <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, um, I I think I will give this one. Then I'm gonna go with. Uh, I will give the Latverians eight Iron Man action figures out of ten. Wow. Yeah, I I thought this one was good, but I guess I'm just a sucker for a Peter Parker Tony Stark team up. Yeah, I I forgot, like coming in with the MCU perspective, that probably does feel real sweet to see, doesn't it? Oh, oh, yeah. So. Obviously, this is sentimental for me because I still have my copy from when I was a kid, but um, I would say this is another one kind of like the Hulk issue where it just seems like they're checking off boxes for me. I am going to say seven out of 10 uh iron man action figures it's not <laughs> that's quite forgettable that's still it's a pretty good haul of action figures i think yeah it's not quite forgettable the boardroom scene with tony uh really carries the issue um but it's also not essential reading in my mind yeah the boardroom scene was really good um i thought the very end where tony is talking to his suit uh and it's saying please stand by and then peter walks up and he says hey can you go get some help i liked that one a lot um i liked peter's speech at the beginning of the college uh you know because i thought they were kind of making fun of him so maybe had i known i thought they were like making fun of peter a little bit while they were giving it the speech but i mean that's a very fun read yeah i kind of like that perspective even though i don't think it's what was intended like it it's additive. Um, all right. So we got one more episode. Do you have anything else you want to add on, on issue four? I did want to say one thing. One this... more episode, one more issue. <laughs> yep. Uh, this doesn't even need to stay in the pot or whatever, but when I was a kid, because I got this when I was like six and I was mostly looking at the pictures, like the first, however many times I read it. Um, I can remember looking at the scenes of the Stark expo and just thinking, Oh, that's Iron Man. Oh, that's Iron Man. Why are there so many Iron Men? <laughs> like the freaking giant one. It's just like pillaring over all the people. I'm like, oh, I wonder how he got so tall. guess it doesn't that, explain it here. That, that, I guess I'm not going to read the words to figure out. <laughs> I was um, six. The pictures were so that's much really better. Funny. Yeah, that's really funny. Definitely. Yeah. That in. <laughs> um, okay, so issue five. Were written by Bendis, art by Mike Alfred, colored by JC, lettered by Wes Abbott. And we don't open up right on our cliffhanger immediately. First, we are on Tony's plane getting to Guatemala like 10 years ago. And we already know that he was held up by a terrorist group at that point from the last issue. So he's on a plane. He's, uh, his plan is getting held up by by that terrorist group. So back in present day, 
Peter is introducing himself to Tony standing over him while he's about to get kidnapped by these, these robot people. And he says he's read Peter's essay and there's just this perfect uh, comic of Peter just beaming at him, like so happy that he's read his essay. Um, And then we're kind of cutting back and forth to the past and the present. And in the past, Tony Stark, we learned, has a brain tumor. And that's why he is going to Guatemala because he needs to get stuff from this. Is it from the terrorist group or they just happen to be in the area? Zach, do you know? I think he was getting it from like a reputable source, but they intercepted him. Okay. So Tony's on his way to Guatemala to get this thing that's going to help him with his brain tumor. And the terrorist group intercepts him. And... Then we're cutting back and forth. Now we're in present day and Tony just keeps saying, asking his suit to do things. And there's what I think is a really funny series of panels where he's just asking his suit to do things. And the suit is just responding with please advise or like suit unoperational, please stand by. And once again, it just, you know, everything I read, I read it as if Robert Downey Jr. was doing it. And I just think it it like puts a smile on my face reading it because I'm sure that there have been scenes like that in the MCU before where he just keeps asking a suit to do something. And it's just like casually telling him to stand by. And he's just casually asking it to do things while he's like in the middle of a, of a life and death situation. Yeah. Flight systems, inoperative Uh, weapon systems, inoperative (laughs) guidance systems, inoperative. What, well, what does work? FM radio is online. <laughs> yeah. And that must be like a classic MCU thing because in the, in the winter soldier, when Nick Fury, who, Oh, maybe Nick Fury has something to do with this issue. There's a tease. Nick uh, Fury's and, got his hand in everything. Yeah. But he, his car is like getting rammed in by the winter soldier people. And, um, he said, everything's inoperable. And he says, well, what is working? And they say, air conditioner is working or something. And it's, I think that's what I was thinking of. I knew I was referencing something that had been in the movies. Cause that is such a funny trope that like the yeah. thing you need the least is the one thing that's still good. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was great. Um, and then we cut back to the past and we learned that Tony's cousin Morgan is on this flight to Guatemala with him or trip to Guatemala with him. And, he is assassinated pretty quickly, isn't he? Don't don't they like ask Tony to do something and he says, "No, I'm not going to do that." And they just immediately assassinate Morgan. Um mm-hmm. maybe I'm is is that what happens? It's pretty quick. It's pretty shocking. Yeah, I kind of got the feeling that like I felt like that couldn't have possibly been how it ended. I feel like if Bendis kept writing Iron Man, there was going to have been some kind of reveal that Morgan was alive and behind it all or whatever. Cause it felt like he introduced this key character just to have them, you know, killed in this like flashback scene, but that's how it's presented here. Well, I was kind of thinking like, Oh, this is kind of what that's the moment that like sets Tony Stark over the edge of becoming Iron Man. That's his uncle Ben. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's his Jackie Barnes who does come back and be the bad guy. (laughs) See, I would have thought with just like how egocentric we know him to be, even in this world where he's his own mascot, I would have thought just being kidnapped and having to fight his way out would have been his like, you know, hero moment. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's true. And that is what we got in the movie because I guess he was so selfish. He didn't, no one else dying he would have cared about. Yeah, what's important is that he looks cool. Yeah, exactly. And continues to look cool. Um, But it does set us up, it does set Tony up as someone who wants to keep his weapons at least when he has a direct choice out of criminal's way because he says he doesn't have weapons and then they kill Morgan. And then at some point we get to the situation where Tony is going to build this weapon for them, but it's similar to how it was in the Iron Man movie where, or I should say the Iron Man movie is similar to this because this came out well before, but he's not really building the weapon they want him to build. He's building his Iron Man suit. Um, and we just get a perfectly cut back and forth, um, like past to present reveal of his Iron Man suit booting up for the first time in Guatemala together with, he's been asking his suit to do stuff all issue and even in the last issue. And it finally is operational again. So we get this really cool back and forth of it booting up for the first time in Guatemala and now in the present. And he obviously ends up winning the fight against the robot guys. He and Spider-Man together, you know, they, they take him out pretty easily. And then we get the, what is now kind of an iconic scene of Tony flying Peter over the water, which happens in homecoming. That was a famous scene where he's grabbing him from his kind of collar and flying him over the water. Um, And we get kind of a little teaser trailer here at the end where we find out it was Nick Fury behind this attack on Iron Man Um, and not Samuel L. Jackson, Nick Fury. It is, David Hasselhoff, Nick Fury, and he is working with the Latvians to try and get them the Iron Man tech. Um, so I don't, I don't, I guess I don't know who was in charge of that. If the Latvians were in charge of it, or if Nick Fury was in charge of it, but they were, they were. Nick Fury was okay with it at the very least. They're um, in cahoots, and he just doesn't seem like a very good guy. You know, I'm kind of glad if they're going to make Nick Fury a not very good guy. I'm. I would rather is David Hasselhoff, Nick Fury. I don't think I'd like it that much if they made Samuel Jackson a sleazy guy. So the fun thing about that is once again, this is like Bendis's vision for the ultimate universe at large. And then later Millar is kind of going to get more creative control over everything. That's not Spider-Man and Millar's, Nick Fury is going to be the Samuel L. Jackson. And that's like the first time ever in the comics that Nick Fury is going to be presented as being like a black man who looks like Samuel L. Jackson in all other interpretations. He's a white guy with an eye patch. And this is where you get what we end up seeing in the movies. And it literally was based off of Samuel L. Jackson. Oh, nice. That's interesting. And now that's obviously the famous Nick Fury that everyone knows. And that happened in this run in the ultimate universe. Yep. And you'll see him in the Spider-Man ultimate Spider-Man series as his more recognizable Samuel L. Jackson looking form. Oh, okay. Nice. I wonder if that makes Bendis feel kind of bad that he's like, well, I already put this character in and now you changed him. And now I have to write your version of this character instead. I would like to think he knows that he probably it probably doesn't works. care. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a 
there's enough stuff that Bendis has done in comics that like lasted and stuck and other people are mad about, but like have to go with his version because it was, you know, more enduring. So I'm sure he understands like it. It just works that way. Yeah. Um. Well, I like this one also. I've got a rating system for you, but you can change it if you want. But I'm going to give this one one out of one Nick Fury eye patches. <laughs> it sure does have that eye patch. I'll, I'll give it a one yeah. eye patch too. <laughs> okay, that's great. 100%. Yeah. What What did you think of this one? You thought it was pretty good? I think kind of like the part two of the Hulk one. It was the necessary conclusion. Um, I think it's interesting that the first issue was so heavily based on like fleshing out Tony Stark and you think, Oh, we got that out of the way, but you really didn't. The second issue is it's even more that. Yeah. Half of it's a, his own flashbacks. So I think a lot of effort was really put into this Tony Stark feeling like a three dimensional person more than the Hulk was given, you know, that kind of space. And it's kind of a shame that this isn't going to be the Tony Stark that lasts because I actually really liked this version of him. Oh, that is too bad that he like changes because so do I. That's why I kind of that's why I really like this. These two issues where I like all the scenes he's in and. I'm a sucker for the iconography of him carrying Peter over the water that I saw in the movies um and i just thought it was pretty good i like seeing the iron man origin where he builds the suit and breaks out and it's cut together with him his suit powering up in the present i think it walks a really thin line of making him um like this arrogant billionaire but still being really likable i think a lot of that comes with how he handles like the politics of um latveria yeah yep I'd agree. Well, what what are we reading next time, Zach? If you don't have anything to add on these five. Yeah, I think that's a wrap on today. Uh, Next episode, we'll be looking at issues six through eight of the main Ultimate Spider-Man series.